Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy to use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years. And we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build a Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction. And we are on board. To learn more about how Build a Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, Visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build a Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. Don't miss the Contractors Coalition Summit. You can go to contractorscoalitionsummit.com and join us in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th. This is going to be an incredible event. Again, for all of you builders and designers looking to take your business to the next level to learn about all things, systems, organization, pricing, social media, marketing, how to be a better business owner, all the things that we wish we knew as early business owners many years ago. We're going to speak about that. Also give you a Dropbox with all the content, including contracts and other documents that we're using, as well as KPIs, keeper performance indicator. So don't miss it. It's a huge opportunity. Some amazing vendors will be there as well that you can network with. So again, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th, 2024 in Minneapolis, go to contractorscoalitionsummit.com. The problem is lighting is the great unknown or the great forgotten piece of the whole puzzle. If I'm an architect or a designer, the lighting is what's going to show that house more than anything else. Doesn't matter all the cool finishes that go into it. If it's poorly lit, a homeowner is not going to be super thrilled with the end result. So welcome to the podcast today. We have Jason Fishbeck on with us. Welcome, Jason. Nice to be with you, Brad. Well, I was going to, I actually will give you some kudos today. I was going to just introduce you as the owner founder of Automated Environments, which you are, but uh, I, I guess, you know, in a humble approach here, I have to say that you own the belt in golf right now, which is pretty unfortunate for me. So <laughs> you're chasing, you're chasing the, the champ and that's a good place to be on the side of the recordings. Well, I got to give Jason some credit because what he does is he wins the belt and then he cancels all of our golf tee time. So I can't win it back. It's uh, it's all about how you uh, strategize in the business <laughs> world. When you're when you're busy at work, you can't play golf, Brad. You know that. Well, I guess you, I know that because I can't get uh, free to play with you anymore. <laughs> well, I can't either. It's been kind of a rough start to the year in a good way, right? <laughs> We're all so busy that we haven't had a ton of time. So I know. Yep. Well, as a little background, Jason does a lot of our low voltage, structural wiring, automation, really a key component to the house. And, you know, this is an angle we haven't really spoke about much on the podcast is, you know, we spoke a lot about the value of the interior designer, architect, putting that build team together, you know, working through a project. But one of those key elements, you know, in addition to landscape is, you know, our trade partner who's doing all the home automation. So from your perspective, Jason, why... Is it important to have low voltage automation, you know, integrated, having that conversation early on in the process? Well, it really affects so many aspects of your of the other trades that if we don't do the coordination early, 
you get a lot of pushback from electricians and people that are like, well, hey, how come I didn't know that before I'm starting to plan where my panels are? Because a lot of times we've got to help them figure out where they can lay their uh, electrical panels because it affects the space of where we're at. And so if we don't do that early on, then we end up kind of being on top of each other. And uh, it's just, it's so much easier if we're talking about this way, well before the house is even under construction. Because too often, you know, not with your build, but with other projects, we get out, we, the builder calls, hey, we need to do a low voltage walk. And we get out the electrician's almost done. And we've had no pre-planning of where things are going uh, if the client's even interested in a lighting system that hasn't been talked about. And so uh, I've found that it's much easier to do way ahead of time because I'd rather be way early than than after the fact. Because after the fact, budgets are affected. It, it, it makes it for an uncomfortable uh, discussion with the homeowner. Well, well, maybe focus on lighting because there are a lot of angles here from the home automation that we can speak at, you know, the full scope that you offer, Jason. But when you think about lighting, and maybe we, we key on here on Lutron lighting, how does that impact when you mentioned the electrician, the lighting plan, depending on that integration, whether it's a Crestron system, how, how does that impact costs from, you know, from modules and switches to, you know, logistics and wiring? I mean, kind of walk through the full scope there of just lighting, how that's impacted by itself. Well, I think the, the problem is lighting is the great unknown or the great forgotten uh, piece of the whole puzzle. Because you have an architect who is focused on the design element of getting the walls and everything figured out. And so what they do to get through the plans most of the time is there's very little interaction with the homeowner about what they want for lighting. So what you end up with is a, a kind of a sterile set of electrical layouts, the typical under the cabinet lights, uh, you know, the 12 cans in the, or Dell lights in the great room. And there's not a whole lot of thought that's gone into it. And so they then turn that over to the interior designer and the electrician. And then the interior designer hasn't put any thought into the lighting other than the decorative pictures, which nobody's th talking about the downlights and what needs to be lit and how we want to light it. And so it it, it really has, be, has been a very after-the-thought type thing because nobody really covers it. And so I think uh, a great... You know, if I'm an architect or a designer, the lighting is what's going to show that house more than anything else. Doesn't matter all the cool finishes that go into it. If it's poorly lit, then a homeowner is not going to be super thrilled with the end result. And so I think, I think there's been a revitalization in terms of people talking about lighting early and often. <clears throat> so I think that's helping lead to better results because a, a full lighting system and like you know with with uh, catcher and things they need to be thought out well ahead of time but an intentional lighting design and plan goes a long way for everybody but i think it's always been something that's kind of been dropped and forgotten by a lot of people not intentionally it's just one of those things that's not really their area of expertise so people decide it's just not something that had been taught to them and by the time we get involved sometimes it's too late to talk about a lighting design because a lighting design takes some time to coordinate. It's interesting because as you think about just the complexity here, whether they have artwork, trim, decorative ceilings, cabinetry with glass, right? You could have glass doors on the cabinetry and you're trying to accent that. You could have under cabinet lighting, you know, especially in some of our modern designs. You could have toe kick lighting. You could have lighting under staircase. I mean, outside decorative fixtures, it's all across the board. And I, 
I think anyone listening who's been in construction design architecture can relate that by not addressing this early, well, I've been in construction projects at certain points in my career where it wasn't thought of, right? And clients like, well, I want under cabinet lighting in my kitchen. I want token lighting. And now you're retrofitting the entire kitchen. You know, you're trying to figure out, okay, well, where are we putting, as you mentioned, there's, there's modules, there's panels, there's, you know, all the different aspects that go into the lighting and coordination. And now you're trying to retrofit the house, essentially do a remodel on a new build. And that's where you can get into trouble by not planning for this in advance. Exactly. Cause there's a lot of, you know, indirect lighting's a big, becoming a big thing. So you've got to be able to hide these lights. And so if it hasn't been thought of, then you, you now after the fact, trying to add ground molding or things to hide lights. And so I think you're right on it. If, if it's done ahead of time, if it's done, you know, intentionally with a client answering questions about what type of light and what, what's important for them to like, because if nobody's asking them what, whether it's art they want to light or whether it's the texture of a wall, you know, if, if people haven't asked that question well ahead of time, the homeowner is not going to ask it. And so you get to an end of a project and all of a sudden you're like, well, wait, we spent all this money on this really cool wall and the lighting doesn't look very good. So along that line, along those lines, you know, thinking about the transformers and, you know, all the components that go behind, right? I know that's changed over time, especially with catcher lighting and, you know, other products that are out there, but maybe give us an example from the technical side, when you're looking at a house that's wired already and the client comes in and says, okay, Jason, we want to do Lutron lighting, right? We want to have, you know, the, everything automated from a lighting perspective. So if we're out of town or we're coming home and, you know, how, house on, how does that affect you and the electrician just from a wiring perspective by not planning for this up and, you know, in, in advance? Well, the, the linear lighting <clears throat> used to be really easy with those the old rope light, right? Because you could just cut the rope light to any length. With the lighting now, you can only go so many feet with, uh, you know, it's, it might be 13 feet on one transformer. And so if I don't have enough wires, you know, let's say I have a cove that's 100 foot long all the way around a perimeter of a grape. Well, if I can only go 13 feet with one group of lights, you know, that's going to be seven different circuits. There's different separate, different controllers I have to have wired in a certain way. And so you, it's going to be very difficult to, to retrofit that after the back if we don't have it done properly up front. So there's a lot of technical technicalities that go into this linear light. Lighting is not as easy as it would seem like, oh, I just need to put the linear up there and, and turn it on. You've got to figure out the voltage drops. You've got to figure out the gauge wire. Uh, in the type of light, because there's different types of, not all linear lights are, are created equally. Well, I know, you know, really in a perfect scenario, right? You're going to have your integrator, such as you, right? Programmer, Jason, you're going to have your electrician, you're going to have a lighting designer, right? Lighting architect to some extent involved. With, without those, when you're coming in after the fact, because I'm sure this has happened many times to you, Jason, who is doing the voltage drops? Who's doing the calculations? I mean, how are you piecing this together? If you're not involved early on, well, that's where the bit, that's where the finger pointing can start. <laughs> and, and obviously, we don't want to point fingers. We want to rather roll up our sleeves and try to figure out how to get it done right. But yeah, there's a lot of things that uh, are very technical that people don't think of. And so, a lot of times, I'll pull the electrician aside. Like, you know, at the same time, we we want to work really well with our electrical partner. So without them, it's hard to pull these things off. And so. It's, it's, it's not a finger pointing thing. It's, it's an opportunity to figure out a solution. So 
if it is if it hasn't been thought out of and there's things that need to be changed then i'd rather raise my hand now and say hey brad this is what we need to do to make this right instead of getting to the very end and going well i didn't know they really wanted it and so i think there's um an opportunity to do the right thing even if it's the wrong time so that people you can at least raise your hand and figure out how we can do things better from what we what we have to deal with so logistically after you figure out you know the wiring the voltage drops you know from an from a lutron perspective as you're integrating that into whatever the main brain is right crash on control four whatever it is uh complication logistics right how you know for you to be on top of programming technology changing how difficult is that aspect just from a programming side as you come in late in the build and what is the time frame like when you have to come in and program all the lutron lighting into the into the the system what does that entail uh, the, the the programming is not as hard as it used to be the, the programming is, is fairly simple because somebody like lutron do a great job of having a system that's set up for that i think more than anything the the drywall damage or the relocating drivers or decoders is the, is the biggest logistic, especially if it's a flat route. If there's an attic there, we can always figure out ways to run things. But I think the, the biggest challenge would be figuring out where and, and how to hide these things. Because these, these transformer boxes are not sightly, but you want to put them in areas that are serviceable and you, you don't want to take away from other things. So underneath the bathroom cabinet might be a place to put something, but we just got to make sure we can get the wire there. Wireless has made it easier because as long as I can get power there, I can control it through a wireless signal. So there's there's just, I, I would look at every house as a different opportunity or a different challenge, but a challenge is, is good sometimes. It's not necessarily wanted all the time, but if you can manage those, you know, you can pull off some really cool things for clients. And I'd rather save the day than, than say, sorry, I can't do anything about it. So I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do to, to make it right. How many clients are, I, I don't want to say savvy, but how many of them are pretty engaged with the lighting aspect and, and you know, a driver on, on the lighting? Because you mentioned that, yes, lighting, all of us have been in design. If you go into a well-lit home, you know, yes, there's a cost just like anything to have a very well-designed, you know, lighting system in your house, but it makes such an impact interior and exterior. So how many clients, you know, are coming into that prepared to say, hey, Jason, this is a focus of mine for this build? I would say it's fairly fairly relatively few um, most people just expect that hey that the builder is going to take care of the lights and they don't they haven't been exposed to what good lighting is but the people that do know lighting are are people that come in very upfront and they say look this is this is what we want and they they ask a lot of questions and so I I think the the benefit for me of having a lighting designer get involved early is it gets it it's able to help pull the passion out of these clients and figure out what's important to them. Because I don't have all the time in the world to be able to sit there and ask them questions about everything about their home. And so that's what these questionnaires, the lighting designers, give them, help them pull those things out and vet them earlier than, than me having to try to sit there and ask them about these things. It, it, it's a fairly... It, it's not a pro... I mean, you've been through it now. You know, you're, you're working on your own design so what were your thoughts about what questions were pertinent to you yeah it's a good question it's funny having going through the lighting design whether myself or with clients it definitely gives you a different perspective right because i've been around it you know building through my entire career our team's been around it but when they start asking questions about you know 
we just went through this. Do you want trim or do you want trim list, right? Okay, well, how does that impact costs, right? If I'm doing a TNG ceiling in here or I'm doing even drywall, you know, having a square light, you know, catcher light is a perfectly straight. You have to factor that in and then you have to factor in, you know, what kind of trim? Do we want coves? Do you want, are we going to backlight, you know, cabinetry? So all these different things that we're speaking about, you know, is there special artwork down the hallway? Where are we doing light fixtures? And now with Ketra, I know Ketra can retrofit, you know, some of the bulbs over to other light fixtures so they can tie into the system. And so there, there's just a lot behind the scenes of thinking about how do we light exterior and then how does that, you know, incorporate into the plans. And so just like you, I mean, having gone through it, I, I just see that there's a lot there's a lot more than most people realize when you're going through a lighting design, there's a lot of planning and it really is important to have a designer builder architect on board. And the reason being is that it's really good to know, are we having a stone or brick wall? Are we trying to accent that, you know, they're going to have a, you know, a certain direction of the design of the build and they have to work with the lighting designer. So then that way everything's incorporated and shown as it should be. So, so, so outside of lighting, um, what are some of the other scopes of work, you know, that your home automation company would provide? Uh, we obviously do security is important. You know, I, I see a lot more people's insurance now requiring that uh, an alarm be monitored for both fire and, and sprinklers and things like that. So we do the alarm system. We do the home networking, which I would argue is the main <clears throat> The bedrock piece of what we do because if the home network is not solid, <clears throat> you can have issues and trouble. And when we have clients call us saying their automation system stinks, that other other companies have put in, usually the culprit is a poor network or a network that's not powerful enough to handle the things they're trying to do. We also do all the audio video, so televisions, speakers, uh, anything electronic is something that we will we'll get involved in. Now, going back to the home networking, maybe to find that a little bit more, are you speaking more of what um, what operating system? Are you speaking about, you know, Wi-Fi boosters throughout the house? How does that incorporate if, you know, just understanding the full gamut there? So so I think everything now is, is basically wireless. So, you know, a lot of it, what we're talking about, having hardwired access points that are wired back to centralized switches and routers so that everything's tied in. You know, obviously, televisions will be hardwired. Anything we can hardwire, we prefer to do that. So if I can get a wire to your printer, I'd prefer to be wired instead of wireless. But <clears throat> all of our browsers, our, our phones, our iPads, our computers are typically going to be wireless. And so we want to make sure we have a very robust, strong Wi-Fi signal through the house. It's going to be able to be transferred between the different antennas. If you have a, a 6,000 square foot home, you'll probably have four or five antennas that are strategically placed through the house. And the goal would be that you could walk from one antenna to the next and not drop your signal. And so that's that's what, when I mean network, we need to make sure everything's set up right, properly configured um, so that everything works seamlessly with your network. So from the wireless access points or antennas, as you're calling them, um, how does that differentiate? Because I know, you know, working, we did some brownstones in downtown Phoenix and these are solid concrete floors, brick exterior walls. You know, if you're doing ICF homes, how does the type of construction impact, you know, the connectivity of the wireless system? Well, that's good to know beforehand because yeah, there's some materials that don't uh, 
you know, there's solid concrete gyms that we work in that, you know, you're not going to be able to get a lot of Wi-Fi in from another room. So you have to make sure you have a wireless access point directed for that, that room. And so, yeah, a, a typical frame and insulated uh, structure is going to pass Wi-Fi better than a brownstone uh, or other structure. ICF obviously is solid concrete inside. So, yeah, that all goes into how we lay out and plan for the, the wireless mapping of now, outside of with security, I know a lot, um, there's a lot of competitors out there, right? You have Ring and stuff and, um, you know, that's pretty user-friendly to someone that wants to go and do it themselves. As you're looking in, um, you know, from a security aspect, what are clients asking for for you as the home automator as you're coming in, um, you know, from either video or, you know, different types of surveillance, you know, window taps? I mean, uh, what's pretty common that you recommend for most of your clients? Well, so we like to have a, an operable a contact on every operable door and window of the house. So we want you to be able to have, you know, not only for setting the alarm off, but I also like it for clients. So if they're going to leave the house, it'll tell them, oh, you left the window upstairs and the loft open. So they don't leave town for three months and have a window wide open. So we like to put operable contacts on every door and window. Some of them may have to be wireless, but we prefer to have them hardwired. Uh, glass breaks are important for people that want security while they're home at night. If you've got a large house and you've got a basement and you can't hear a br- window breaking, I'd recommend putting glass breaks on those type of devices. So if somebody were to break a window in the middle of the night, the alarm would go off and not have to, you know, you wouldn't be surprised in the middle of the night. Um, flood sensors are becoming a big thing for insurance companies. So toilets, uh, washer, dryers, sinks. Those are, I'm sure you know. Ice makers. Ice makers, exactly. You don't want to come home and find a couple inches of water in your house. So wireless flood sensors are also very important nowadays. Flow switches to the sprinkler system. This is another must. That way if something, if I have a problem with a, a sprinkler head, I know about it ahead of time instead of coming home and finding a flood. Yeah, it's funny because as you think about this, how much damage, I mean... <laughs> just ice makers i've many of us have had our experience of ice makers and if it's on an upper floor and the damage it can cause you know washer dryer same thing uh when, what, so what does that process look like for you when you when you're sitting down with a client and they're engaging you for the first time where do you start how does that work just to go through because there's so many different elements i mean the options are endless right with technology and products out in the marketplace but to kind of keep them under control what are some of the target areas you know that, that you evaluate well, I, I like to bring them in and, and talk to them and find out how they're going to use the home. It's very important for me to, as the integrator to understand. I don't want to tell them what they need to do. I'm there as a resource. I, I don't. I, I wouldn't sell. Say we're hard salespeople. We're there to more educate uh, and give them the options and let them. If they come back to me and say, "Well, Jason, is this really important?" I'm going to give them my opinion, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not going to oversell them. But I think <clears throat> it, it is hard. A lot of times I'll refer them to their insurance company and say, well, what are they going to require? Are they going to require a, a water a shutoff valve on the outside of the house? Because if one of these things does go haywire, the insurance company wants to mitigate their losses. And so there's a lot there's a lot of clients are now, their, their insurance company will drop them if they don't have an automated water valve or they don't have leak detection or whatever. And so a lot of times I'll do a good job of inter- inter- interacting with their insurance people. And sometimes I do it for them because 
to them it's all it doesn't you know it's a different a foreign language and so i'll call pocket insurance person and say hey what are the requirements and then i can report back to the client and get them set up the way they need to be set up well this kind of plays into your process too how often do you have accurate budgets or do you have budgets typically involved well <clears throat> i think it's getting better but i it's it's what it, and i think depends on the type of builder you're working with if you're working with a builder that's that's let's say it's a a two million dollar build the builder is going to go in with the skinniest budget ever for audio video and and alarm because you know they don't want to put in too big of a budget because it makes their number not not uh in play with other people's numbers and so i think if it's a cost plus type situation i think builders more apt to tell or I guess we could be more honest with a budget number, but it, it's hard. It's one of those it's one of those hard things for builders to figure out. And so we like to be involved early so that we can tell a builder's estimator, hey, I met with this client and it's going to be you know a $100,000 budget's going to be perfect. Or, hey, this budget, it really hasn't been defined, so you're going to be north of 300000 or 500000 But we want to give them as much knowledge up front so the client's not... You know, the, the worst thing for me is to give a client a budget that four or five times what the, the builder budgeted, because then it makes it makes the builder look cheap. It makes the builder look like they were not doing their homework. So that it's, it's a really awkward thing for us to get into a situation where the budget hasn't been set properly. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Our clients have worked with the Sub-Zero Wolf and Co. showroom Scottsdale on nearly every project. They make the process so easy for us and our customers with either an in-person or virtual consultation. They have dedicated consultants to answer questions, provide helpful solutions, and offer advice and assistance. When you are ready to embark on your kitchen journey, reach out to the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom, Scottsdale, who will tailor an immersive, rewarding experience just for you in their stunning showroom. Gather ideas, ask questions, and imagine how your dream kitchen might come to life. All catered to you in a low-pressure and highly inspiring environment. View an array of options and see what they look like in full-size kitchen vignettes. And attend a chef-led demonstration to see and taste these appliances in action. And sticker shock, especially with you coming in late, you know, how can that impact the client? I mean, the reality is to your point, Jason, 
you know, some clients have banking, right? And so, you know, with banking involved, that can be complicated because they may have locked their loan. And if you're coming to late and now you're trying to figure out those costs. And so, um, you know, how, how difficult is Cause I'd imagine you're typically having these tough conversations. If the builder didn't give them enough allowance, you get to be the bad guy to some extent, you know, how do you handle that? You know, with the client? Well, in those kind of situations, it's, it's one of those things that, Hey, if it, if it just doesn't pencil, then I would, I would revert back to saying that, well, let's make sure we get it all wired so that the, the house is set up and you may not be able to afford the, the, uh, the audio video system up front. And you may not be able to afford to put the theater in the equipment in right now, but let's, let's make sure you're set up for success. So that beautiful home you're building at least is ready for a year down the road or whenever you're ready to put that system in. So I would always, I would always encourage the, the client to get things wired because later it's less expensive to do the equipment later if they don't have the budget for it up front. Yeah. And that's a good strategy. I know that we've had a couple of clients you've done that in the past and you know, where they've done it called a pre-wire, but it could be a more complicated pre-wire as you mentioned where they're putting the funds there. And to your point, you know, although so many things have moved to wireless, there's a lot of value to having the bones in there and, you know, to, you know, to just coordinate for, for better performance. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, del- it's a delicate dance for, for each client. And like I said, I'm, I'm going to be there to try to be a resource and, and a help person instead of telling them, you know, what they have to do. Obviously I think there's the things we do are, are important, but you know, the, the audio video stuff, is it, is it necessary? I, I'd say not security probably is the networking. I'd, I'd argue that people would probably live without plumbing before they'd live without Wi-Fi nowadays. <laughs> it's, it's become that important that, you know, if, if the Wi-Fi goes down, it's like a nine one one fire um, call. So, so how do you handle that? And maybe speak about the fire aspect, because I mean, I think to your point, what's unique, I mean, outside of like a flood, you know, Hey, my ice maker's leaking or, you know, rain's coming through my roof, you know, yeah, that's going to be high alert, high emergency for any client, but not far behind it is our home automators, right? Our integrators that Super Bowl Sunday, which is coming up and, you know, Wi-Fi is not working, TV's not working. You know, you have clients that a lot of them have second homes. They travel a lot. They're not here. You know, how important is that just you know, to under, really understand the system, the training, the information, everything you're putting out there to educate the client. Because although it's pretty user-friendly for the most part, there's still some training and understanding that has to go through from the end user. Well, I think that the frustrating part for, for me as an integrator, it doesn't matter how good we are, we deal with things that are electronic in nature. And so I think you would agree that, you know, your iPhone is probably pretty solid most of the time, but every once in a while you have to reboot it. Right, I mean, because it gets laggish or it gets sluggish and, and lags, and so it's just like that for a lot of the equipment we have. And so, <clears throat> fortunately for us, we have technology that allows us to put in power boxes that cl- the clients themselves have an app on their phone that says, "I need to wi- reboot my Wi-Fi." They open up an app, and they press one button, and that goes out and does a very complicated reboot but you make it simple for the client to solve their own issues. And so those type of things have made it a lot easier for us to save the day, so to speak, without having to roll a truck out every time. But it, it comes down to to having a relationship with your clients that they know they can depend on you, that you respond quickly. 
because there are people in our industry that get that last check and it's hard to get a hold of them. It's, it's like, you know, you, you can't get old. I've hired people in the past that when they came to work for our company, they go, why are you guys answering the phones? And I go, well, that's what we do. He's like, oh, well, where I worked before, they'd be like, oh, don't answer the phone because it's Mrs. Wilson. We, we got to finish thing, things up over there. And and so I was just, it kind of blew me away because it's, it's second nature for us to just do the right thing. And so being connected to your clients, being there to save the day deepens that trust and, and they know they can trust you. And like I say, it's been 30 years of being in this business and we've had quite a few clients and we look at we have tons of light, lifetime clients that have been with us for a long time because of that. Well, I want to come back to the value and you know the lifelong relationships you build with your clients. But going back to um, when you mentioned just that the client has this complicated reboot, it's fascinating to me. I want you to talk about that because many of us have been on our side of it where you're calling the the cable provider, they're walking through the steps, you know where to go, you know how to reset the modem and you know re, re, reconfigure and reset the whole system. Um, is this a standard that you do for all of your builds to have that in to reboot? Yeah, it's well, it's kind of one of those necessities. We look at it part of that because, again, I know that Apple TVs are very finicky. And usually the Apple TVs mounted somewhere that I can't tell the client how to get down on their hands and knees, reach into the AV cabinet and try to turn it around because they'll accidentally unplug other things. And, and so if I have that Apple TV that's plugged into a watt box is what we call it, then I can give them a simple command on their on their app that says family room reset. And so it'll reset the family room audio video receiver, the Apple TV, the cable box, the TV itself. And so that reboot will solve the problem 95% of the time. And so our our uh, <clears throat> our service call rate goes down or our service needing to go out or roll a truck goes way down because we're able to solve these things remotely. Oh, it's incredible. And and it sounds like it's not even just a general reset in the entire system. You have it categorized and specified from certain areas of the home. Yeah. In, in, in our bigger jobs, we like to put one of these boxes behind every TV in the house because who wants to get up on a ladder behind their patio TV and reset it? <laughs> and unfortunately, sometimes just unplugging a TV and plugging it back in will bring it back to life because the power here in our, in, you know, unfortunately is, it very it fluctuates, and so you can get a, a power blip that that kind of locks things up, and so that's why we have these boxes to help us, you know, reset those devices. And and I I have to commend you for this, Jason, because I've haven't known you for a while. What I've seen over the years is this uh, this this constant drive, right, to understand more products out there. I know you've diversified tremendously since we first met, into all the scopes you're doing, and even stepping into when you're talking about. The voltage drops, I mean, here in Arizona, we have a lot of issues with, especially in the summer when it's really hot, you know, everyone's running their air conditioner. We have these power outages, monsoons will come in because that's monsoon season. So you kind of have this hybrid season of really hot weather, monsoons come in, they zap the power. And just in my home, so many times, you know, even in the current home that I didn't build, which we're designing our, our, our personal home, but there's issues with the mechanical I have to reset. You know, there's all kinds of things that come through. And, and to your point, that's why Rosewater, right? Rosewater is something that you're now, I mean, you're doing catcher now, you're doing Rosewater where you can come in conditioned energy. So, you know, speak about that drive just to, you know, include more product in your arsenal. Yeah, well, you know, like I say, Rosewater is something that's a, a very cool product. 
it basically can come in and condition that, that your whole house. You can also add solar to it. You can add a generator to it. And so it's a bit literally built to pick up instantaneously if there ever were a power problem. And so you could have an a, you know, unwrap, uninterrupted power service when everybody else loses power. But, but more than anything, it protects all these, you know, you sell very complex um, appliances and things that, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to blow out a, a, a washer, not a, a dryer and, and different um, electronical components. And so this rose water will condition and give you a constant power because the power can be all over the map. And uh, it's one of those products that is something that uh, your clients should look into. Yeah. And I had them on the podcast. I actually looked it up. I think it was almost two years ago today that, that they came on. Um, on that episode, they actually flew down here and an incredible company. They're doing amazing things. And going back to the value side, I think a lot of us um, in any business, that's what we're trying to achieve, right? We're trying to present our clients value, right? This is why they hire us. And it's, you know, many, many of us have heard the saying, you know, I'm not the cheapest, I'm not the most expensive, you know, but there's kind of this fine spot, sweet spot that they operate in and, you know, but there's a value add. And how is that value when you kind of touched on this a little bit, Jason, the relationship you built with your clients, with your general contractors, designers, as you service them over the years, how has that expanded your footprint to not just Arizona, but now, you know, Hawaii and all over the U.S. and different markets? Well, it's interesting. Once you do a good job for somebody, I had a client uh, that came in that uh, remodeled the house up in Scottsdale and uh, I got a chance to meet him. And, and after we got finished with this project, he said, Jason, I don't, I don't understand it. Your stuff just works, and it works. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have problems with it. He goes, you wouldn't believe my company. You know, back in in Michigan, he had a, an auto garage where he kept all his, you know, vintage automobiles. He has a house, and he had a a, a, a cottage up on a lake. And he said, I'm always having trouble. It never works. And he goes, what could and would you be interested in coming out and taking a look at my systems? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that, Bob. And so I flew out to Michigan exactly for the wrong time. It was February, <laughs> like four, four years ago. There was a blizzard, but I went through, took notes of, of all the stuff he had in the different the three locations. I came back and I made a proposal. I said, look, Bob, this is what we need to do. And he's like, okay, let's do it. So I grabbed, uh, I, we scheduled two, two months ahead of that until now March, at least it was good weather. And uh, we went out, and in one week, we were able to swip, swap out all the systems in those three places. And that's been uh, three years ago now, and you know, mock on wood, it's been bulletproof for him. And, you know, you can imagine it's a little, little bit, you know, you have to know what you're doing, or you have to put your money where your mouth is when you tell a client, hey, I'll come out and take care of this, but I'm in Arizona, and, and I haven't had to fly out there once to take care of anything. So it's been a, a great uh, relationship. And so we've done that for clients when there's that deep relationship and trust. We've gone to Hawaii, we've gone to Manhattan, we've gone to Wyoming, Salt Lake, Seattle. We've, we've gone almost, um, we've gone to quite a few places. And again, it's not something we're looking at taking over the, the uh, country, but we wanna take care of clients because they're important to us. Well, it's funny having this conversation and just thinking about my experiences with all my trade partners and subcontractors. And the reality is, of course, they're all talented. They they care. You know, they want to have a great reputation. But from a builder perspective, 
What's funny about the integrator and home automation is it's probably one of the, just in my experience, it's always been one of the least out of scopes of work, right? As you're going through the build and you're thinking through all the, you know, from framing to retaining walls to all the different com complexities of these builds that we're doing. So, so you don't think about it, you know, until it's too late in most cases. And, but at the end of the day, where the client becomes most frustrated moving in is the integration. And, you know, because most of the time, ideally, if you have a decent builder, right, you know, waterproofing's done right, the home's built right. I mean, you don't get a ton of callbacks, you know, on cabinetry and paint and, you know, most of these other things. But I'll tell you what, the minute that that TV ain't working, the speakers aren't working, the lighting's not working, company's there, family event, holiday, whatever it is, that phone's ringing. And so if you don't have a good integrator, I mean, that's a huge reflection of you as the builder. Right. Because again, our relationship would go deeper and longer than probably your, even your relationship. Because, you know, unless they engage you to build another house a few years later, we're going to be, we're still there. And so our, our relationship goes, you know, as long as they live in, 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 in that house. And if we don't do it right, then obviously we're not doing a job, a good job and it'll reflect poorly on you guys. But that's what, you know, that's what I would hang my, hang my hat on is that's the, the relationships are so important to me that I, I'll always err on doing the right thing, even if it's years down the road, because I'd rather keep that client happy because they, they trust us. We're in their house. You know, when we go out and do service calls, we're, we're in their house. And it's something that you need to have a relationship with your integrator that you trust them and that you know that they're going to, you can trust them in their home. It's a big it's a big ask for the clients to, to to have that relationship with their integrator. So, what frustrates you working with the builder? Um, well, like I alluded before, unrealistic budget is is a hard one, uh, and then the scheduling issues or the scheduling that you know they tell you. I, it's get it gets better, but but I think builders are so used to telling you know if we set they set it up to we're ready to to rough March 1st, um, I'm going to be there March 1st. But a lot of times you get out there and the, and the super's like, oh, well, I didn't think you'd actually show up. So, and so we avoid that by calling them early, but there are builders that just, they don't think you're actually going to do what you say you're going to do. And, and, and I think to some regard, it's just the construction industry in general. Uh, if, if, if your plumber says, hey, Brad, I'll be out there next Thursday and he doesn't show next Thursday, well, you know, that's that's not a good sub. But unfortunately, that's what a lot of guys do is they just don't show up and then they don't call. They they kind of ghost you. And I don't understand how people can run a business because it's so simple just to showing up and, and communicate with your own builders is almost the easiest thing to do. Now, from technology aspect, um, how, you know, how difficult is it to stay current? You know, we mentioned Rosewater and Ketra and all these different, you know, products and they integrate differently in the home and you're well-versed in all of these. How do you stay on top of that with an ever-changing market? Well, I think the key is to not bring two things that are too, er are, are that new. You don't want to bring them too early into your bag of tricks. You don't want to be the guinea pig. As fun as it would be, and, and sometimes clients push you because they, they see something at their buddy's house or they saw something on TV, and sometimes you have to have those hard conversations. I don't want to be a guinea pig, and I don't want them to be a guinea pig, so let's let's flush it out a little bit and make sure it's a viable product because 
because there have been things that have burned us over the years and and i i think it's it's hard to to show patience at times and and let a client know that it's it's not you know in their best interest to do this product because there have been products that have come out and they flamed out and they they lead people high and dry and so i i'm not a, a big fan of early adoption of technologies i i'd like to to know about it but i don't want to put it in, into bright lights and put it into prime time in my business until i know that there's a track record and it's it's something that's going to be viable oh that's a good point i mean sometimes latest and greatest you have to make sure it performs and we all know there's salesmen for every company you know salesmen saleswomen salespeople whatever you want to say and they'll come out selling the product but there has to be some performance there uh, you know for for us to integrate it into what we do from your side jason as you look at you know just all the different suppliers that are out there how important is your relationship with your vendors with your suppliers to be successful at at your scope of work well it was really tested and challenged a couple of years ago through the whole pandemic because you know we were deemed uh essential especially through the security portion of our business but there was a chip shortage and then so we we've, we've we faced a huge backlash of, of scheduling issues one of our best suppliers crestron couldn't deliver things for a year and that's not, you know, it wasn't their fault. It was, you know, the people who were supplying them chips. And so it created, a, you know, they, they worked with us to say, hey, you've got to, to order things early and often. But it was a tough, it was tough to be that far out of product. And, and of course, you have the clients that call and, hey, I want to do this. Well, I can't do it because I've got, you know, a backlog of, of people that are waiting already. But, you know, the vendor relationships are super important in our in our, in our world because, They've got to support us, and, and there's times where we're going to need to favor. Like we have supported them. We're going to certainly ask them to turn around and scratch our back when we need it because there are, you know, there are challenges. But luckily for us, the, the, the shortage of products is no longer there anymore, but it's certainly taught us we want to have a little bit of a backlog or big backlog of products inventory so that we can deal with things if there are blips in the, the radar. But inventory can be tough. And the reason I bring that up is because from your perspective, you're dealing with high dollar product. You know, how do you manage that just from employee oversight, you know, things, things walking out, right? People breaking in. There's a lot of logistics to an integrator that has some high dollar, you know, inventory that they're keeping on hand. Yeah, it is what it is. I mean, you just got to take the bite the bullet and, and you just got to stock it. And yeah, it's, you got to have it secure. You got to have a good system for checking things in and out. I think we do a good job from our accounting system to account for product that goes in and out. It's it's just one of the necessary evils. I think I you could order things if I if I sell a project today, I can order it and have stuff probably within two three weeks. But I that whole shortage thing it got me a little bit uh, uh, nervous that you know I don't foresee anything happening in the next future, but I, I like having things on hand a little bit more than I did before. Yeah. So how did you get into this? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting story because I, uh, I was preparing, I was 18 years old and I was preparing to serve a mission for my church after high school. And so I went to down to MCC to sign up class. And this was, I think it was August and I was leaving in February of uh, 89. So I, so it's Mesa Community to, College, right? Yeah, Mesa Community College. So I went down there and got signed up and started going. And my mom 
stopped me that, you know, one evening said, hey, how's your institute class go, which is a religious studies class. I said, well, <laughs> mom, I'm going on a mission for two years. I'll have plenty of religion for those two years, so I'm not taking it right now. And she's like, well, if you want us to help pay for your schooling, you need to go down and take a religion class. And so I begrudgingly went down to the institute and I walked in the first day and there was a job board and I didn't have a job at the time. And I saw a job that for a security intercom and vacuum technician. And I'm like, what is that? So I called them the job and uh, it, I talked to the, the guy that was hired and it sounded interesting. So I went and did that for six months. And I really liked it. And I went on my mission to Peru for two years and came home. And I thought, well, I'll call the guy and see if he's interested in hiring me back. He hired me back and I was a peace worker. And I was making amazing money because I was, uh, you may not believe it, but I was a hustler. I was, I worked, <laughs> I, I worked hard so I could play hard. And uh, I think at the time I was making about 30 to $32 an hour in 1991. I was, I was loving life. And uh, the boss, about after about three or four months, came back and said, hey, uh, we need to redo the pay scale because you're making too much money. And I didn't like that because I, I didn't want to work the same amount for, the, for less money. And so I talked to my dad. And I said, Dad, he's adjusting the pay scale. What should I do? And he said, well, why don't you start your own business? And I just, I was 20, <clears throat> 23 years old or 22 years old. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know what that means altogether, but I guess I could probably do this myself. And I knew that my dad was a, a general contractor commercially. And I thought, well, he's got good enough relationships that they'll just, people just come lock my door down and it'll be easy. So I went to my dad and I said, all right, dad, let's, I, I, I'm interested in doing this. And he's like, well, where, how are you going to get money? And I go, I don't know. He's like, well, I'll loan you money, but you're going to pay me back like 80% interest. And I was like, <laughs> ouch. And so he, he gave me a $10,000 loan. Um, and I got to the point where I then had to start hustling and calling people and, I, I got to where I had about $300 left in the bank and before my receivable started hitting from the jobs I was wiring. And then after about six months, I paid him back. And then, of course, the interest portion, I was smart, and I went to my mom and said, hey, mom, you need an alarm system, and you need a central box. And I charged her double what I would normally charge. <laughs> so that way, it all worked out. So that's how I got into that portion. But then, of course... I no family discount. To, no family discount. No, I couldn't do a family discount because I got this interest. And then my dad said, well, hey, son, there's not a bank in the world that would lend you any money to start a business. And it was a good opportunity. I love my dad. He, he certainly was important in my getting career, my career started because I started working in his office. And shortly after I started my business, my buddies started getting Bose Acoustamass system. You're probably too young to remember those, but they were little huge speakers. I'm like, honey, can I get one? She's like, no. I'm like, really? And so then we went and bought a TV at a clearance center, and she told me that was the last TV I'd ever going to buy. And I was just like, I was in a bad way, Brad. I was just like, gosh. And so I, lucky for me, I was in Fountain Hills. I was wiring a guy's house. And he brought me some uh, that lamp cord looking speaker wire on a reel. And he said, hey, would you run this for me through the attic while you're doing the other wiring? I said, sure. And then when I finished the house, he brought in a bag of Radio Shack speakers 
they literally were the they had metal covers you had to assemble the speakers with bolts and i put the speakers in and all of a sudden the light bulb came on and i went home to my wife and i said honey i know you're not gonna like this but i gotta go buy a surround receiver i'm gonna put in-wall speakers in our house and i gotta become i, I gotta be a mad scientist if i'm gonna learn about this stuff i gotta i gotta know what i'm talking about and so from then on, I've had any electronic gadget I want because it's all part of education. Learning, educate exactly. So it's been quite a fun ride. I I, I talked about my dad. He's quite a jovial, fun person. Uh, when I early, when it was early on in the business, I was using his conference room as my conference room. And I told my dad, "Hey, I've got a client coming in. This is really important. Uh, you know, I'll be in the conference room." And so I start the meeting, I'm probably 15 minutes into the meeting, and my dad knocks on the door and I said, hello, and he, he sticks his head in. And I go, dad, I'm in a meeting. And he's like, hey, are you gonna come watch the game tonight? And I go, dad, I'm busy. You know, the clients are right here. And he's like, well, bring your sumo out that will wrestle. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, I'm, I look at my client, I don't know them very well. I just have known them for 10 minutes. And I'm like, that's my, sorry. <laughs> I can't remember this day if I won their business. They, they loved the relationship I had with my dad, but that was kind of the early days of uh, starting my business. It was kind of fun to, to recollect those those moments. Yeah, it's kind of a fun story to hear about that. You know, it's always interesting if, you know, how people start their entrepreneurship journey. From your side, Jason, I mean, 91, 92, 93, I'm thinking back and I'm like, when, you know, I worked for my uncles at the time doing electrical. And at that time, I'd be curious on how hard it was for you to kind of build a career to this. And and what I mean is for a long time, electricians would pull, you know, coax cable. I mean, you're pulling RG6. I mean, I'm trying to remember what it was back, you know, back then, but the electrician typically would do that. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot, you know, outside of central back and maybe security, but there wasn't a whole lot. How, how has that changed? I mean, the nineties, you know, was, it, it has changed tremendously to what you're doing now. Well, when I was started doing this stuff back in the early 90s, I remember the electrician would run the phone wires and the TV wires yeah. all to the side of the house where where the service would come in. And that's where everything was wired. Yeah, all outside. The, the, everything was wired outside. And so there was the no low voltage of, panel inside. Yeah, there was never a low voltage panel. So the only thing we were running, like I say, it was intercom wires, it was central back, and it was security. And it was none, none of it was related to audio video. And so in, in the mid to late 90s is when I started getting involved in, in doing home automation. We There was a product called Godfrey that was a voice-activated uh, system that uh, this was, it was hilarious, but you used to talk to it and say, Godfrey, turn on the lights. And it was it was old X10 lighting that we used to do. And so uh, the, 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 the change of technology over the last you know 30 years has been incredible. Because it's it's so much easier nowadays, it's less complex, but it also has its own challenges in terms of um, it has to be implemented correctly, or people just will hate it. The first time somebody goes to use something, they'll try it again, but if it doesn't work after the second time, they just kind of give up on it. And that's probably the saddest thing for me is people that have these great systems in them, but they just get to have of not use them because they don't trust that it's going to work. Yeah. And I think there's a, a few aspects that you mentioned, trust it'll work because I've had poor experiences. It could be a lack of training, could be a lack of detail from the integrator, right? Who installed it. And so all those things play a role. What, as you look back at your career now and 
especially with the company you built. And I know you've been involved in other companies and entrepreneurship and um, biggest challenge you have right now. Biggest challenge we have right now is just, um, it's probably the workforce. I, we have a great team, great people, but it's just hard to find good people to replace people when there's, when there's issues, when people move away or people change careers, it's just hard to find good people. And, um, that's probably the biggest challenge we have is, is just, we have a great culture. We love what we do and we love who we do it with, but when we do need to expand it's just where do you find people and and people that want to work it's just you know it's 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 a grind and a challenge yeah that's tough and and so what does training look like for you when you bring someone in i mean we all know how hard it is to hire and find good people and pulling you know people willing to put in a full day right that part's difficult what you know from a training onboarding that's probably one of the biggest things that every company has to institute to you know retain their customers how does that training look it's, it's hard because sometimes, most of the time, it's harder to find that think they know what they're doing or think that they, or they've been doing it for 10, 15 years because they're kind of set in their ways. And so I think for us, we'd almost prefer to hire somebody on aptitude and attitude and train them the way we want them to be trained. And so th- what we'll do is we'll send them out with our lead technicians and we'll, we'll have them work with them for months so that that way they get exposed to how we want them to do things. And quite quickly, we can tell if somebody's going to sink or swim because they're the guys that are asking the right questions. You're not telling them every little thing they have to do. They see that you're on the phone and they'll pick up all the stuff and take it out to the truck while they know that, you know, you're getting ready to leave. And those are the kinds of guys that we want to invest time and effort into because they're the part of our future. Yeah, it's and I would agree with that. I mean, experience is really important, but at the same time, if you don't have someone that's all in, that's committed to the brand and company. It's really hard to take them to the next level. So what do you do for fun? Well, I, unfortunately I do a lot of things for fun. I'm, I'm a, a father of six. And so my family's my priority, but my wife would probably say that's not true, but I do, <laughs> I do like, I do love traveling with my wife and being with the family, but if it's not with the family, I, well, I like to golf and luckily my youngest son loves to golf as well. So we do golfing a lot. Snowboarding's a big thing. Um, anything athletic, I just love to compete. As you know, doesn't matter if I'm playing checkers or golf. I just I want to stab your eyes out and make <laughs> sure that you know I win. And so uh, being competitive, I think, is helpful. Though I think that's kind of pushed me where I am because if you're not competitive in life, it doesn't make you want to don't try as hard in the business world too. So I think competition is a good quality to have because it keeps you keeps that fire burning it's funny that you say that because an old an old client of mine mentor of mine dave clark was super big about hiring competitive people and he said you know it doesn't just have to be you know like a d1 athlete ex-athlete of course you know a lot of them are are not afraid of competition but seeing you know and he would have different aptitude tests and ways that he could see how competitive people were and but to your point, there is something about having someone who's competitive, right? There's a drive there and, you know, it's a huge value. And I think we align that way that we want to win at everything, no matter what it takes. Right. So. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so what's the best, best advice you've been given? Uh, I think my dad told me to not take yourself too seriously. I think that's something that's, that's helped me because I, there's times when you don't get along with clients or you have an issue, that impasse. 
and you can't take yourself too seriously. You got to look at it from the other side and think, look, this is not that big of a deal. Let's, how do we make it go away? And so I think that's served me well because it's, it's gotten me out of situations that could have become ugly or litigious. And I just chose to, to see the, a, a, another way out. And um, so I think that's probably the best advice that he, he gave me. I, I live to it this day. So who's winning the Super Bowl? Uh, well, I am tired of seeing Kansas City. I, like I say, I'm a big underdog guy. That's why I like you. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'm rooting for the Niners. It's hard because they're in the division of my, my lowly Cardinals, but uh, I'd love, there are some ASU players on, on uh, San Francisco. So that's, I'll be rooting for San Francisco. I just feel for you, Jason. Your youngest son is dominating you in golf, and it's not close. You're having to, you're having to cheer for your rival in your division for the Niners. Like, what's happened? I know it, it, I've fallen. I've really fallen down, and and so now, just so you know, I'm taking up pickleball because I think that might be the, the next place I can dominate. Uh, and anyway, my wife loves pickleball. I, she just found that love within the last couple of months, and so I, I I love supporting her with that. And I think we're going to be playing a lot of. And if you were athletic enough, I'd probably invite you to play it, but you probably not not you don't have the aptitude to pick it up. <laughs> well, I think of no better way to close on that note. So for those listening, Jason, where can they find you? Uh, they can find us at uh, www.aearizona.com. And um, yeah, we're uh, they can also uh, look us up on on um, the internet. We. We have finally we we Are you going to start putting some posts on Instagram? I was going to say, Brad, you have inspired us. It's taken me a while, but you can see a lot of stuff on Instagram now. So we're starting to make some posts, and uh, I think it, Instagram's not a fad anymore. I think it's actually going <laughs> to stick. Yeah. So I I appreciate your mentorship and trying to get me a little bit more social media savvy. Well, I guess you were just true to your counsel you gave about a half an hour ago, where you said you don't adopt new technology. So you, you gave That's Instagram true. eight years, you know, now you're ready. I, so. I had to wait just to make sure it wasn't going to fail. <laughs> well, that's awesome, Jason. You've been incredible. I appreciate making time today. Hey, thank you, Brad. Look forward to seeing you on the golf course. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favor to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support and we'll see you next time.